Hello, I'm John Rossi, a touring drummer with a love of all things animal. When I'm on the road, I visit as many zoos, aquariums. Hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Hey, what's going on there? Hello? Hello? We interrupt your regularly scheduled program to bring you Rossafari Zoo News. News you can use from the world of zoos and conservation. Every week, we bring you breaking news and analysis from around the globe, featuring the animals you love and the people who care for them. And here's your anchorman, John Rossi. Hello, 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 and welcome back to Rossafari Zoo News, your look at all the latest news in the world of zoos, aquariums, conservation, and animal weirdness. Uh, I am really excited to be launching into another wonderful episode of this fun little podcast, and um, yeah, I, I, I gotta tell y'all, uh, I, I did the thing. Um, so for those of you who have been following along, you know that I, I started grad school uh, earlier this year and I'm now kind of towards the end of, of my first semester. And it has been a lot, y'all. Um, I've talked about it on here before, but I know we got some new listeners. So for those that are uh, new, I'm doing Project Dragonfly, which is a master's in biology program. It's mostly online with some in-person stuff. And um this first semester has just been really challenging, uh, not even because of the schoolwork, which is, you know, it's master's level work, and that's that's supposed to be challenging, and I accept that, but my life has just been absolutely crazy. Um, but y'all, one of my two classes is complete. I worked ahead a little bit, and I finished up my final paper last night. So uh, yeah, one of the big things that has just been making my life crazy uh, for the last couple months is is halfway behind me. And and really, each class was very challenging on its own. So I'm just going to say that one of the things that was making my life crazy is is behind me. And um, I, I also finished the main project in the other class. So I still have some work to do there and lots of reading and stuff. But I'm I'm definitely, you know in a much better place than I have been with it over the last bunch of weeks. Uh, that thing that you saw leaking out of my ear hole, if you saw me earlier, uh, was my brain, and I have been able to effectively squish it back in, and it is going to stay there for a while. So I'm pretty excited about that. It feels really good to have that done. I am also in the process of uh, another million-dollar quartet, Friendly reminder that if you're anywhere in the New Jersey or Philly area, you can come and see the show the first two weekends of December. We are playing in Asbury Park at the Asbury Park Theater Company. And um, yeah, Google it and, and find some tickets. I am the co-music director and playing Fluke, uh, the drummer, like I normally do. Um, but I'm also, for the first time ever in my career, co-directing the show. Uh, my buddy Jason Cohen and I, who a lot of you will recognize the name from my work with Great Balls of Fire and such, um, we're co-directing and co-music directing together. And the original plan was it was going to be a, a pretty equitable split. And um, then Jason booked another gig. So, you know, we've been working collaboratively, but I've been running the whole rehearsal process and, and directing the vast majority of the show on my own. It's It's been quite the experience. And um, it's always fun to step into new roles, you know? Uh, yeah, so that's the first two weeks of December. And then keep in mind that the week after that, on December 17th, the show that I wrote 
and um, came up with the arrangements for working with my buddy Taylor a little bit and um, am directing and drumming in and and have some spoken stuff and all kinds of all the things. Just I did all the things. The show I created is is the word I'm looking for. We'll be making our world premiere at the Hard Rock Casino in Atlantic City. And again, that's on December 17th. So if you happen to be in that area, come check it out. Okay, enough about all the craziness in my life. I know that's not what you're actually here for. So let's get to what you're here for. So we're starting off with a a bit of a sad one, y'all, but it's another one of those animals that just really meant a lot to me, so uh, I want to to give him his due. Uh, Ozzy was a loggerhead sea turtle who recently passed away at Adventure Aquarium. Ozzy has been living at the aquarium since 2012, where he was brought in as a rescued and rehabbed yearling. Um, that had all kinds of issues. I mean, Ozzy was one of those animals that if they weren't brought into captivity, would never have had any chance in the wild. But of course, the team at Adventure Aquarium is amazing, and they did awesome work. And Ozzy was really thriving for quite a while. His care team loved him. And Ozzy liked to sleep in really weird places in uh, their big exhibit there where their sea turtles and hammerhead shark and other animals live. And uh, because of that, you often, if you were a visitor, would not get to see Ozzy. So, like, anytime that Ozzy popped up, it was it was really special. It was one of those moments where if you knew what you were seeing, it really meant the world to you. And um, I've gotten some really cool times where I've gotten to see Ozzy when, when maybe you wouldn't expect to or just – just when the whole aquarium was kind of kind of dead and no one was there and then suddenly Ozzy popped up right in front of me and I've just I've always had a very deep love of Ozzy. Um so the the entire team at Adventure is just wrecked about this. Um you know, it's it's just so hard when something like this happens. Uh he he developed several lesions on his shell and plastron and um it just it didn't get better. And because of that, uh he was at risk for sepsis, uh, which is a life-threatening response to infection. And it was just realized that this was not going to go better. So uh, the team decided to euthanize. And I know it was the right call, and I know they know it was the right call. But these are the moments that are the hardest for me to talk about on this podcast and, and, you know, obviously a million times harder for the people that actually go through it. Uh, just sending all of the love and condolences and and peace to the team at Adventure Aquarium. They do amazing work, and um, Ozzy never had a chance without them. And they not only gave him a chance, but gave him a full decade of care and love that that he would have never gotten any of if it wasn't for the amazing work that they do. Ah, this one hurts, y'all. This one, this one hurts. So to move on from that story, we go to a really, really happy story uh, that took place in Syracuse at the Rosamund Gifford Zoo. 
Um, the Asian elephant named Molly there was recently announced to be pregnant. And uh, guess what? It was twins. Molly had twins. Uh, and they are now visible on display. Um, elephant twins, for some, uh, some perspective here, account for less than 1% of all elephant births worldwide. And there has never been a recorded case of surviving elephant twins in the United States. This is a huge deal and is really exciting for um, Asian elephants. So congrats to everyone at the Rosamund Gifford Zoo. And I can't wait to come and see the baby elephants. Ellets? Ellets. I like it. Soon. And now I have to share with you a story that has just been cracking me up this week. So, uh, you probably know that there is a hippopotamus that lives in Cincinnati that is named Fiona, mildly famous hippo, and that recently her mother got a new mate, Tucker, who, um, you know, they, they did the mate thing and uh, created Fritz, which is this adorable baby hippo that Cincy has been posting all over their social media, and it is just adorable. Well, recently, the Cincinnati Zoo needed to come out to let everybody know that they are aware of the fact that Tucker and Fiona have been also exhibiting breeding behavior and that Fiona is on birth control, although friendly reminder, so was Bibi when she got pregnant, um, and that they are, you know, hopeful that she does not get pregnant, but that the SSP was aware that this could be a thing and genetically it all makes sense and everything. And the reason that the zoo needed to come out and say that is that people have been losing their damn minds over this fact. You know, this is we, – we talk a lot on this podcast about anthropomorphism and the idea of whether it's good or not or, you know, there are pros and cons as there are too many things. But this is one of those examples where I think it leads to some problems because, you know, there are so many fans of Fiona and so many members of the zoo and everything that see her as, quote, their little baby. They also see the family there – See, even I'm doing it. They see the bloat there as a family with mom, Bibi, stepdad, Tucker, and kiddos, Fiona, and Fritz. And that's just not how it works. It's not a sitcom. There's not some crazy neighbor over in the uh, painted dog pack that's going to come over with big glasses and a nerdy accent, you know, and join the family. These are animals, and this is what hippos do. But people have been losing their minds. Suddenly, everyone is a hippo expert and think that Fiona is too small or that it's wrong for her, quote, new dad to be doing that. And just it's it's been hilarious, y'all. I've thoroughly enjoyed watching the meltdown over this. But the zoo is right. Uh, Fiona is on birth control because they knew that was going to be a thing. Otherwise, they would not have put her on birth control because she didn't have a potential mate. Um, and, you know, again, this this isn't some some weird, gross thing. He's not her stepdad. That's not how this works. But it is really fun watching people lose their minds about it. Um, yeah, so there is a small chance, I guess, that Tucker and Fiona will end up with a a 
baby as well, and that would be fine as well. But um, hopefully the birth control works in this place because I, I think it's one thing for people to know about it, but I think people would lose their damn minds entirely way too much if uh, Fiona had a baby with her, quote, new daddy. It's uh, People are great. I love it. All right, so some late-breaking news that I wanted to bring to y'all. I recorded this episode on Wednesday night, and on Thursday morning, the zoo in the official Cincinnati Zoo member page had to post yet another update, yet again confirming that, in fact, Fiona is not too small to breed— is of the appropriate age to breed, that it's not weird, that there's no problem with it, etc., etc., etc. They've now had to address this issue twice in one week because people are so freaked out by this. Again, amazing. Okay, back to the episode. All right, so uh, the National Aquarium in Baltimore has officially reopened their Upland Tropical Rainforest exhibit. This is the one at the top of the aquarium that is encased in glass that has been closed for a while because they were replacing all of the glass. The glass has now been properly replaced. It is a uh, better glass that is better insulated, so it better controls temperatures throughout the exhibit. It has acid etching, helping prevent migratory bird strikes. It also has LED lights along the border of the period, which will shine blue for the National Aquarium, purple for my Baltimore Ravens team, suck it, Browns, and orange for the Orioles. I can't really say suck at anyone because the Orioles kind of suck, but still very cool. Um, And the nearly 92,000 pounds of old glass has all been upcycled and repurposed into materials used for major roadways and fiberglass insulation. So that's that's pretty exciting. So yeah, I am digging this. The uh, rainforest is back in action and a sea turtle is in quarantine and then going to be on display for the first time in a while. National Aquarium is doing some amazing stuff right now and I cannot wait to get back to Baltimore and go visit again. The Columbus Zoo has a new male elephant named Sabu. He is 10,000 pounds of elephant, and he is basically on loan from the Cincinnati Zoo. Uh, The Cincinnati Zoo recently announced that they are opening a new habitat called Elephant Trek, which is going to be just a huge, expansive area for their elephant herd. And uh, while they are building said trek, Sabu is going to live at the Columbus Zoo. Now, Sabu happens to be one of the most genetically valuable males in the entire North American population of Asian elephants. So while he's chilling at Columbus, he is going to be introduced to the females there, Sunny, Rudy, and Phoebe. And uh, let's just say that they are hoping that he will, um, you know help contribute to the uh, growth of the species in captivity and have fun doing so. So good luck, Sabu. In other less happy elephant news, the Oklahoma City Zoo has announced that they had to euthanize their oldest Asian elephant named Bamboo. Uh, Bamboo passed peacefully while surrounded by the uh, veterinary care team and her caretakers, and uh, she was roughly 56 years old. They don't know the exact age, but roughly 56, and the um, median life expectancy for female Asian elephants is 47, so uh, she had a good old life, but unfortunately, um, she was just having 
a lot of problems that even the uh, geriatric care program they came up with for her just wasn't wasn't helping enough. So unfortunately, she was not doing very well and her quality of life was bad. So they said goodbye to bamboo. It's a sad loss for the zoo, but it's always amazing to hear about an animal outliving its life expectancy by so much uh, at, at these amazing facilities. So at least there's a nice story there. Condolences to everyone at the Oklahoma City Zoo. And also condolences to everyone at Zoo New England, in particular the Franklin Park Zoo, because Anala, the uh, beautiful tiger that has lived there for a long time, has passed away due to kidney failure. Now, you may remember that we actually knew this was coming. The zoo announced that Anala was having problems and were very open and honest about the fact that they were doing the best they could, but that uh, she didn't have that much longer and that fans of that tiger should go and say goodbye. Uh, the, the zoo recently had two geriatric tigers, uh, the, the white tiger that lived there as well, passed away um, a little while ago now. We talked about it on Zoo News, and um, it's kind of weird to think about Franklin Park Zoo as not having tigers right now. Um, but yeah, condolences to everyone at the zoo. The World Series has come and gone, and the Houston Astros were apparently world champions. It's kind of funny that we call them world champions when the teams come from the U.S. and a little bit from Canada, but hey, whatever. Uh, anyway, um, because the Astros won, the bet between the Houston Zoo and the Philly Zoo has now been fulfilled. So the CEO of the Philadelphia Zoo wore some Houston Astros gear and greeted guests in it one day. They sent cheesesteaks to uh, the staff at the Houston Zoo, and they also went above and beyond and made a donation to the AZA SAFE program, which is amazing, and I love that. And they did it, you know, from the Philly Zoo, but in the Houston Zoo's name. So just a very cool little thing. Nice to see that they were able to honor that and – um yeah, I think the hardest part must have been to be the uh, the CEO of the Philadelphia Zoo having to greet guests in Philadelphia wearing Houston Astros gear. I have no idea how that must have felt, but I can't imagine it was good. The CEO of the Philadelphia Zoo has announced that he is resigning after 16 years on the job. Okay, okay, I totally did that on purpose because I thought it would be hilarious to, you know, make it seem like that was a choice because of this. But no, 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 no. Everything is fine. Everything is copacetic. Um, it's just time for this gentleman to move on. And so, yeah, so then <laughs> I just tied the two stories together to have fun. But yes, Vikram Dewan is stepping down after 16 years as the CEO of the Philadelphia Zoo. Um, he's done a lot of work at the zoo, including some really cool expansion areas and also basically being in charge of the whole Zoo 360 exhibit idea that they have in different places, including for their big cats and red pandas, where um, there are trails that go above where people can walk and the animals can can walk over them. And it, it's just this really cool thing to see. Um, and a lot of zoos are doing that now, but, but Philly was the first to really make it a thing. And, and it was, it was under, uh, Vikram Dewan's leadership that that took place. So, uh, he has agreed to stay on until they are able to finish a nationwide search to find their next CEO. Um, and everything is amicable and everything is good. And it really has nothing to do with Houston. 
probably. But yes, unfortunately, he will be missed. But I'm, I'm really eager to see what the next leadership of the Philadelphia Zoo looks like. The Point Defiance Zoo in Washington State has officially announced that they have gotten two young walrus that are going to come and live there, or I guess are already living there by the time that this is released. Their names are Lakina and Balzac, and uh, they were born at the Aquarium de Quebec, uh, up in Quebec, and um, it's just really exciting. So this bumps the total number of walruses in care in the U.S. to... 14. So this is a big deal. And if you don't know anything about walrus and the whole um, how they live in captivity and all the cool things they can do, go back and check out my interview with Erica Allen from the Indianapolis Zoo. I got to meet Ginger and Aku, the walrus that live there, and it was beyond amazing. And Erica is an incredible educator. It's one of my favorite episodes I've ever done. So so go back and listen to that if you if you have not heard it yet. I promise you will love it. But I'm so excited for Point Defiance Zoo. I really need to get there, y'all. Let's uh, let's plan a field trip soon, yeah? All right, cool. Give me a call. We'll, we'll make it happen. Who am I talking to? Anyway, yay, walruses. The Akron Zoo has recently unveiled two zoo-themed interactive wall installations inside the Akron Canton Airport. The two walls are very cool. The first one is a two-story wall that has 3D plants and visuals from the ocean, savanna, and forest biomes, along with animals native to those regions, and a video screen that plays recorded footage of Akron Zoo animals in their habitats. The second one includes Humboldt penguin visuals, educational information about penguins, and videos of the penguins that live at the zoo. It's pretty cool. I'm pretty excited that this is a thing. It's just, it's a great way to not only get travelers interested in coming to the zoo, but also we all know that you usually get to the airport pretty early for your flight, and so you need to kill some time, and now you can do it by learning about penguins and other amazing animals. So this is just a very cool way for the Akron Zoo to be out in the community educating people that aren't coming to the zoo. Nice work. And speaking of penguins, the Roger Williams Park Zoo in Providence, Rhode Island, has announced that penguins will be returning to the zoo. Uh, They left over 15 years ago, um, but recently the zoo received $1.5 million in COVID relief funds uh, from the capital city of Providence, which is where they are located, which they are going to use to renovate the old penguin exhibit into a new penguin exhibit, which will then exhibit penguins, which is what a penguin exhibit is supposed to do. So that makes a lot of sense. Now, if you've been to Roger Williams Park Zoo in the last few years, or at least up till 2019, um, the exhibit that I'm talking about was the seal exhibit. Uh, Unfortunately, um, one of their two seals that they had was elderly, so passed away. So in 2019, the other seal was moved to a different facility so as to not be lonely. And now they're getting penguins back. Yay. Stereotypical animal podcast theme song. So here's one of those fun stories where we get to look at uh, the complexity of conservation, right? So electric cars are good, right? 
I drive a hybrid whenever I'm able to. Zoe just got a plug-in hybrid, um, and I'm, I'm thinking of doing the same. I, I, I think this is good. Less reliance on fossil fuels. Yay, right? Right? Well, yeah, but also sometimes not. So the batteries that power electric cars use lithium. And right now, there is no way to avoid using lithium in an electric car battery. It is the only way that it is going to work for EVs, okay? So right now, most of the lithium that is available and is being mined is being mined in China. And, you know, there are a whole lot of ethical and other issues with getting um, a lot of our supplies from China. So U.S. automakers have committed to creating supply chains that can create EVs in the U.S. with no foreign materials. All right, cool. That's, that's also a good idea. Unfortunately, it's going to get a little uh, janky in the process. So right now, in Kings Mountain, North Carolina, there is an abandoned lithium mine that a company named Albemarle is trying to revive. Albemarle is the world's largest producer of lithium. Uh, the issue here is that this mine, currently abandoned, is the center of a calm pond where turtles, fish, and other wildlife live and thrive. And in order to make this a lithium production plant, they're going to have to drain that pond. And at the time, there is no discussion about just lovingly relocating the animals. Although, to be honest, it's also really hard to relocate turtles because of the whole thing where they always try to get back home. And that's why I've said this on here before, but um, if you ever help a turtle cross the street, uh, don't turn it around. Take it to whichever direction it was going in. Because if you don't, you put it even if you put it way far in the woods or whatever, it's just going to start the trek again, right? So there's this kind of weird homing beacon in turtles' heads. So relocating turtles is hard. Uh, I know um, in the area that I, I live in, uh, in Ardmore, Pennsylvania, there was a, uh, a man-made lake that had to get drained, and they just euthanized all the turtles. It was depressing as hell. Um, I went and gave the, the, the lake a, a one-star review on Yelp because I couldn't really figure out anything else to do about it other than to write to the people who were doing it and say that they sucked, which I did, but they did not respond, weirdly. Um, they, they ended up filling the lake back in, and it now has a ton of turtles again because that's how turtles work. But anyway, my point is that this is where the ethics of really trying to do anything get, get confusing sometimes with, uh, with the environment. EVs are a great idea. We need to stop our reliance on fossil fuels. But man, a whole bunch of turtles and fish might have to die for this to happen. It's, it's just crunchy. It's just gross. And how much, you know, that's a wooded area. How many trees are going to have to die for this? It's, it's never quite as clear as it seems. And that is something that is endlessly challenging for, for me as I learn more about conservation. And speaking of turtles, there has been a huge uptick in turtle poaching lately, mainly due to the world demand for turtles as pets. 
there are literally thousands of turtles being taken out of the wild in the United States and sent into the world trade, um, including in the U.S., but also especially in Asia and Europe. Uh, and a lot of the turtles that get captured are kind of just taken regardless of their status. Lots of endangered turtles, lots of threatened turtles. It's not a great time to be a turtle. Now, you may wonder why the turtles just don't hide in their shell to avoid being taken, but it turns out that humans can just pick up the shells anyway. That's why. I know. I'm an idiot. So yeah, so sad news for turtles. Uh, Lou Parati, our friend who is the conservation director at Roger Williams Park Zoo, is on it and already trying to come up with some plans to uh, help fix this problem. But yeah, as of now, the demand for pet turtles is causing some serious issues for their wild counterparts. And speaking of unintended consequences, but in a different way, uh, Cambridge researchers have recently discovered that rhino horns seem to be shrinking over time. And the reason it is believed that is the case is because of, you guessed it, poaching. So when poachers go out and try to shoot rhinos, they try to shoot the rhinos that have the largest horns, meaning smaller horned rhinos get to live longer breed longer, and pass those genetics on. And of the offspring of said rhinos, the ones with the longest horns are the ones that are then the most likely to be poached, meaning even smaller horns will be the norm in the wild. And it keeps going and going over generations, and now rhinos in general have shorter horns than they had in the past because of poaching. I think Darwin would have a field day with this because, uh, you know, my understanding is that long rhino horns uh, were actually desirable uh, throughout history. It gives you better protection and, and better usage of, of the horn and everything. Um, so, yeah, human behavior has actually changed what trait evolution is selecting. Uh, that's just that's just fascinating to me. So we've talked on here before about the fact that seagrass is struggling and disappearing in a lot of places, uh, mostly in relation to the fact that it means that there is a mass die-off of manatees in Florida right now, uh, in large part because they're having a hard time finding seagrass. So scientists are hoping to find more seagrass and find where and how it's thriving and to study it. And so they decided that they needed to get some cameras underwater and um, – especially on some kind of vehicle that could move around underwater for a long period of time and economically and not causing problems down there. So they chose <clears throat> tiger sharks. Yep, you heard that right. Uh, tiger sharks are being fitted with cameras on their dorsal fins and then put back out into the water where we are then able to see what their fins see. Uh, that's not really the right word, but you know what I mean with the camera C. And um, because of how tiger sharks move and where they live and everything, they go to lots of areas with seagrass. And thus, we are finding out where there is seagrass. It does not affect the tiger sharks. Uh, they don't seem to notice it at all, and they are able to swim perfectly well. Uh, but they're also giving researchers a lot of really cool, really hard to collect data. I love these kinds of stories. <laughs> It's time for other news. It's time for other news. Hey, no, right now, right now, it's time. It's time for other news. Hey, it's a segue to the podcast. 
All right. So that parody is perfect here because another one bites the dust. Born This Way by Lady Gaga, Beat It by Michael Jackson, and Sugar by Maroon 5, along with some Mozart, were recently played for rats in a lab. And the rats bopped their heads along to the music, just like people do. In fact, they managed to synchronize to the tempos really well when the uh, tempos were between 120 and 140 beats per minute, which is also true of humans. So that's just amazing. And as a person who has played the drums with an elephant, I think I need to go and rock out for some rats. And last but not least this week, a, uh, a flock of sheep in Inner Mongolia have been walking in a straight circle for over 10 days, and nobody knows why. I realize that I just said the phrase straight circle, which is not really a thing. I just meant they're going in like a actual circular circle, but uh, that's not the weirdness here. The weirdness is not me misspeaking. You've all heard this podcast. I do it from time to time. The weirdness is that there are just sheep walking in a circle, and we don't know why. Ponder that one, y'all. Oh, animal, oh, animal, animal holidays, animal, oh, animal, animal holidays, hey! All right, so it's time for your animal holidays for the week, or should I say holiday for the week. Quick reminder that 2022 is the year of the wildcat, and November is Manatee Awareness Month. But as far as individual days this week, on the 21st, it is World Fisheries Day. And that's it. It's not even really an animal. It's a place where animals live. But hey, whatever. That is kind of your kind of animal kind of holiday for the week. All right, so there you have it, folks. If you haven't yet, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes. Uh, And also don't forget that you can be a part of this whole Zoo News thing by tagging me in stories at Rossafari on the socials or at Rossafari Pod on TikTok. Uh, or by DMing me stories, or by emailing me, rossafaripod at gmail.com. I'd like to say thanks to Laura Shank, my Red Panda-level patron, and also to all of the people who contributed to this week's episode. Thank you. Anya Keen, Colleen Lenahan, Kim Cooley, Kevin Williams, Carrie Kirkpatrick, Kristen Khalil, Peter Oilo, Jacob Newman, Dylan Hoy, Becca Chen, and Emily Rockbuck. Thank you all so very much. And remember, friends, the words newsy credits backwards are Steiderk Yeswen. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley-Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.